This is Catching Up, a post-book debrief and behind-the-screen look at the Third Gallon Podcast. Welcome back to Catching Up on the Third Gallon Podcast, where we're all yucks and roleplay and nothing bad ever happens. Shut the fuck up and show some respect. <laughs> and, and can I mention that at the point of this recording, I still don't know what happened in my absence. Nope. We just recorded mm-hmm. episode 30 of season three. I have yet to have my gut wrenched out from me again. Yep. Uh, it's uh, okay. Kat gets to discover exactly what was said about... You know, the dead boy. Whatever you guys do. <laughs> yep. Uh, so just, y'all will live it with me. We just had some uh, very emotionally comforting greasy pizza and mm. soda Grease and cookies. And funny YouTube videos. And funny YouTube videos. And now I feel significantly less sad after that episode. That was, out of all the, we've recorded some episodes where it's been hard, either because we've been tired, under a tight deadline, like stressed, or like there's just a lot going on. Like there's been some hard episodes to record and put together. But that was tough because I was like on the verge of tears like all the way through it. And I had to, I know you guys kept like wanting to uh, do a little hee hee and a ho ho here and there. But I had to like, <laughs> I had to like crack the whip of uh no, we got to be serious. Wait. Every now and then. Gotta be. We did, though. Hey, God. We had that I tone. I think that we had just enough silly hee-hee-hoo-hoos to make it... Uh, entertaining. Palatable. To make it palatable, to make it entertaining, to make sure that people knew, even though tragedy struck, it's still us. Uh, still uh, still y'all. Well, I only got in in the last yeah, few minutes. Yeah, you're dead. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if we said this explicitly at the end of the episode, but congratulations, you guys, on finishing book one. Woo! <sighs> You finished a whole book of an adventure path. It's been a hot minute since we've I, done that. Yeah, I'm sad. I'm very sad too. Uh, I don't like the way that this one ended. I think that we need to redo. Can we? Can same. we go back like three episodes? Do <laughs> over. over. I have issues with this book. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob's ready to rip this book a new one. No, I just the book was no the fun. book ending. It was fun. He's ready to rip the boss. And, and but the, my, my biggest worry about my complaint is I could be proven wrong in the future. Oh, so uh, you're afraid. Uh, but as so, far as we can tell, let's get into this. Book one. Spoilers if you haven't listened to the end of the last Why episode. would you be listening <laughs> to this if Listen, you haven't listened to aware. the episode? We get sent to find somebody who wants to kidnap Gattleby. Okay? Yeah. Nice and simple. Yeah. We beat a gang. We find the person who wants to get Gattleby. We beat that person, and that was the final boss fight. Only to find out at that point in time, he was no longer after Gattleby because somebody else had already given or figured out Gattleby's formula. And that he didn't know who we were. He didn't even know where Gattleby was because Gattleby was hidden with us. So he wasn't after him. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know who we were. So technically speaking, as far as we can tell, there were there would have been no consequences to not following up on this man. That's Half fair. of that book, it seemed because everything involving the um powder keg punks, 
you know, the titular punks in a powder keg from book one, punks in a powder keg, <laughs> mm-hmm. everything about them were all related to Shomalizerius. And as far as we could tell, if we had just not gone after them or him, nothing bad would have happened. And uh, we would yeah. have been 100% uh, no issues at all. Yeah, I can say as the GM here with this, uh, I wasn't thrilled about him being the villain of this first book. It felt kind of... I don't know. It just felt like the first two chapters, chapter one is you rob the bank and have to get away from it. Yeah. Chapter two which is was fantastic, rescue Gattleby. rescue Gattleby, which is a very long stopover at yeah. the, at the brewery, but still pretty. God, that was so long. Uh, <laughs> and then chapter three is like, Hey, we got attacked by powder keg punks. What's up with that? And then that's the boss fight. So it kind of breaks the typical, I don't know. It's it was fun. And you know, honestly, ultimately, as long as we enjoyed playing it, that's what matters. It's just weird that the end of a the the, the first third of this adventure path ultimately has nothing to do with the overall goal. Yeah, I mean Yeah. I I, I want to interject my opinion into this. I think it was very brave to do that. I think that yeah. having us as as want to be detectives run into a dead end, a cold lead, that is not something that has ever happened to me yeah. in a TTRPG. But you need to think about pacing. Yeah. And in this instance, if you are, I mean, you should, probably shouldn't just play one book by itself, but that's something you would have happen either after the beginning or somewhere in the middle, and then, but not as the final like culminating moment. Uh, yeah, I like because you're right. Having a dead end is something that doesn't happen. But I also I think I agree with Derek was having the dead end be the end of the book. Yeah, it's kind of weird because like if you think about a good adventure path, and I'm I'm gonna hop and use uh, Giant Slayer as an example. So of course spoilers you, for Giant. You're not Slayer. telling me the ending of the whole series, are you? I'm not. Oh no, because you got to the last book, right? Yeah. Every time one book of the six book adventure path ends, it leads you into the beginning of the next book. At the end, at every boss fight or every last area they explore, they give hints on where to go for the next book. And then the start of the next book, they go there, they do that thing. They get another hint for the next book and they go there. We were left by ourselves, no hints of where to go next. Our next book will literally start off the same way this one did. Tell us what to do because we don't know what to do. You know, I think that there was actually a a lead. But where? I, and mind you, this is metagaming. Uh, I kind of feel like we need to find out who leaked the redacted information. Well, okay. So, you know what? That's a fair point. We found out that something was redacted. Of course, my other gripe with that is... What are the whispers? Our beneficiary already knew that. So Why were we not informed yeah, whenever we, we were we, the ones that went out to get Gattleby? Technically speaking, our whole group learned nothing new because our benefactor already knew that. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they didn't know that and they would suddenly be like, holy crap, that's something we need to know. And then they research that, and that leads into book two. That may have been a bit better because it makes it feel more useful having done what we've done. You know, I can uh, let you guys in on some insight here because uh, I've never been one to avoid uh, revealing my hand as the GM. The What Shoma is supposed to do, and this is why I wasn't really thrilled with the way this book is supposed to end. When it works as intended, you find out Shoma is behind the powder keg punks, 
Um, there's no way to get any sort of detail out of his backstory unless you interrogate him like you did. Yeah. And even then, like, you can only get so much. And, like, the bullet points he, like... Because every, like, module you interrogate a bad guy, they have, like, bullet points of what to respond to. Yeah. You hit, like, maybe one of them, which is exactly how it always goes. Yeah. I have to, like, dig in, like, the three different sections of where they put Shoma's backstory to, like, respond to your questions. Um, but, like, you're supposed to find fight him and to find out that he has been... Uh, he's just kind of uh, been, I don't know, given up or uh, he's doesn't really see the point of doing anything more because he knows that the formula has been yeah. reinvented somewhere. Um, and that is supposed to be the setup for book two. Uh, but like that kind of sucks is just like you go find him and then you find out that piece of information. If we had found out that information and Dunsmith had not known that already, that I might would have been, been more impactful. much more satisfied with the ending of the book because as it stands, Dunsmith already knew it and we it. didn't have to do any of this well, stuff. And that's my bad because I, whenever you were role playing with me and you were trying to get, you asked for veracity on uh, Shoma's claim about that, uh -huh. which is valid because he's kind of an idiot. And so I threw in the whisper things as a bit of improv. Well, if he's, well, he could have been lying or dumb, but what oh, I'm saying okay. is Dunsmith is technically not supposed to know. That's oh, an alteration I made on the fly. Okay. Because I was just like, crap, here's a problem. This is something you deal with a lot with in GMing. Here's a problem. Mm -hmm. These players have no reason to trust Shoma because he's an idiot. And that's valid. But this is the plot point. So I need them to like, well, I mean, that, that. then that does make, I, I think that makes a very big difference. That means there ultimately was a purpose for us going after Shoma, even if it was to find out that one small piece of information. Yeah. So I didn't really get to role play it, but the way I would, I said, changed it in my head on the fly was you guys find out that information. Dunsmith has heard about it, but like, you know, pulls it off the whisper sheets because even mm -hmm. if you can't verify it, you need to look into it kind of thing. Um, and then yeah. you guys finding out that Shoma has some sort of information about that. The thing is, what the book doesn't give me that I wish it had when we were going through that is how he found out. It never says how he found out. He just says word on the street. But that doesn't make any sense because Dunsmith is like Mrs. Word on the street. Yeah. So how does she not hmm. know but Shoma does? And didn't you say Shoma was level three? Uh, he was a creature level three. Well, yeah. then technically speaking, we would have just as much ability to get that same word on the street as he was. Yeah. Yeah. You basically were trying to figure out how do you know this? That's where I kind of improv that um, because that made sense to me. But you're right. Having it be a thing that there, Phoebe was aware of does cheapen the value. But at the same time, it only cheapens it a little bit because it was ultimately a dead end. Yeah. Uh, even if you got that one piece of new information, another thread to pull, the, the way it's set up in the book, you probably would have ultimately found it out regardless of you questioned Shoma or not. Yeah, yeah. Now, once again, so like overall, end of it could be a little unsatisfying that way, but it was fun. I like the idea of running into a incompetent bad guy. magic bad guy. He, I know he didn't use magic. <laughs> yeah. But like typically you go into a dungeon and you fight undead. You find the necromancer at the end and he's been doing his undead thing and unchecked. He would, you know, rise in power and be a problem. But Shoma was this just guy's just kind of washed up. Yeah, he's an idiot. It kind of speaks volumes that the biggest threat or you treated him as the biggest threat. Alonzo charged him first, right? And mm -hmm. 
you basically made him ineffective from round one. Uh, and it turned it out that he was incompetent and the real big threat was his clockwork fabricator. His biggest threats against us were things he dug up and threw away. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. kind of funny, honestly. That's that's different. Yeah. I'm uh, more than a little salty that my precious baby boy died in a pointless combat to an imbecile. At <laughs> least it was a boss fight. At least it was a boss fight, though. At least it was the big combat of the book, you know? Yeah. Because there has been many times where people have died to random encounters. Yeah. And those really suck because there is not even a story point. Even if it's a dead end with this guy, it's at least part of your... It's at least a story. Yeah, it's at least part of the story. I get to be a little salty, just a little bit. You you have every Mm -hmm. right to be salty. So I made the mistake of coming into your room while you were looking at one of like the pages on Shoma. And I saw some very interesting words. Can you read that? Oh. Uh, yeah, I want I want to hear You screen peeking me while I'm DMing. It was DM an prepping? accident. <laughs> it was uh, an accident. Yeah, uh, you saw drop out, failure, mediocre? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. this is on the back matter uh page about Shoma. Uh basically, uh let's see what does the book say? These are words people have used to describe Shoma his entire <gasps> life. Oof. Dang. Uh, Can you imagine just like Shoma's mom up here like you fucking dropout? Basically, his backstory Ugh. is he used to be a prodigy. He wasn't always actually an Ifrit full on. It's something oh. manifested later. Um, oh. I could just read this, though. As a young boy, he was once seen as a prodigy who, w- who would change the face of alchemy forever. But his minor genius would also prove his greatest flaw. Sh- Lyserius started attending school at Blyther College a full two years earlier than most classes. Uh, Lysiris was a late bloomer, physically speaking. His oh, small no. stature and boyish features compounded his childish looks. He's, he was actually really smart and started college early, but uh, he dropped out basically because he was um, sneaking into labs late at night and doing these experiments uh, to work on his new type of alchemist fire that became Lysirium. Mm-hmm. This is like way, 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 way back. Um, and he basically burned a lab to the ground <laughs> uh, as an accident and got kicked out of school. That praise got to be for that. Um, and he actually did that right around whenever his Ifrit blood started to manifest. Um, and he could like, you know, spark fire from his fingertips, uh, his eyes change color or whatever. Oh shit. A latent bloodline. That's cool. Yeah. Hey guys, <laughs> it doesn't matter if, uh, if your DM doesn't allow it, but now in Pathfinder, you can be a human and then slowly change to an Ifrit. Pretty Ooh. cool, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I think you can take a ancestry feat that does that. Hey, I have a question. Te- Go ahead. Technically speaking, if you're a variant bloodline, you can still yeah. take the human feats and just take a variant <laughs> one later on. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but basically, the other details about him that you kind of got some from... Uh, his apartment, like, he didn't know about the Norgaber stuff in there at all. <laughs> He found it. Um, oh. Uh, he recently trespassed back on the Blythere College to get some old notes he left at school. And that's when he found out that uh, Gattleby had checked out his notes. Hmm. And he also heard about him not too long after in the you know news and stuff. Yeah. And he is like convinced that Gattleby used his research to uh, build Pyronite. And so he thinks Gattleby like 
is stealing his work and he like confronted him about it and Gattleby you've all role played with him yeah. yeah he was Gattleby about it and snubbed him yeah um and he saw the demonstration uh and he kept trying to like contact Gattleby and kept getting either rebuffed rebuffed I say in quotes or just ignored because Gattleby's an idiot as well but in a smarter way uh <laughs> So his whole thing is he's trying to get at Gattleby so he can like get his hands on the formula and like take credit for it yeah. or whatever. Plankton. Yeah, he's got a plankton complex for real. Um, but it's so sad because it's like it's a cool story moment, even if it is a pure like runaway thread that's not connected to Mugland or Loveless. Yeah, it's just not tied into the overall plot really well. You know what's not going to be tied into the plot anymore either? What Alonzo? 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 <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. His Lyserium has to kick off because when I was building Eleanor and I'm looking through like, you know, items and all, I happened to cross Lyserium, which is heckin' expensive. We happened to find the formula, so it's not widely available, Mm -hmm. but now Chester can make it. Yeah. It's basically Alchemist Fire, but it has no bulk. Yeah, it's double the price, no weight. Lighter Alchemist's Fire. Which... If you're an alchemist, actually isn't that bad of a thing. Because you're probably not very strong. Yeah, because you're not very strong. Mm-hmm. I took a whole feat to get two extra bolts just for potions or bombs. Yeah. Uh, Shoma could have been allied to us if he wasn't just such such a prickish incel. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the whole thing with the Norgaber thing is I actually don't think maybe I've misread this because it's been a while since I've yeah. prepped that part of it. I don't think he knows anything about religion or Norgaber. I doubt it. There's a saying amongst different people this called like the secret to change your fate. It's an expression. Uh, it's like uh, that carries weight in some uh, different circles. Um, and he had just a bunch of random coincidences that he took as divine signs when he ended up getting his apartment. Uh-huh. Uh, and he found that... God wants me to rent this place. <laughs> he found the defunct uh, cult of Norgaber hideout. Uh, and he was convinced that like... The holy shit. That, that like there's all a sign and it's going to change his fate or whatever. And it kind of did, but yeah, it got he died. He got killed. kind of shocked. That place should have been a little bit smaller. Halflands love Norgaber. Oh, it says here that he did discover like texts or whatever, but I don't think that's as interesting as him just like becoming more and more secretive and just oh, so buying being into it. Influenced by it? Yeah. Because oh. it wants him to have, I remember reading this. Yeah. It wants him to have like found the religious text and start worshiping him. But I don't think that's oh. as cool as him just kind of being unwittingly influenced by it. Yeah. yeah. And, and knowing him as the master of secrets. That's cool. I, I agree. That is a fun way of doing it. So. I fucking called it. Yeah, you did. So the div and the portal to the astral plane. Yes. Did he do those or did he find those? So, Accident, I bet. That's a good question. Uh, in one of Lyserius's many ill-fated attempts to gain secret knowledge of alchemy, he opened a magical breach into the astral plane. He hoped to siphon off enough information to give him the secret to Pyronite, but oh instead God. only attracted idle musings on alchemical theory from given pseudoform Iotons. Uh, he literally stumbled into everything that was that came at us eventually. Yeah. Except maybe the robots and the homunculus. Yeah. That's that's funny, and that is I, that is a fun take on it. I feel bad for him almost. A little bit, a little bit, yeah. But like, he's a prick, so yeah, he was kind of a jerk. <sighs> he killed Alonzo. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I have no I have no bad feelings for this dude. He killed my precious baby boy. No, he well, I mean, everything was a mistake and uh, to a certain degree including Alonzo's death, but uh, that doesn't excuse him. He was also no. a very dangerous mistake maker. Uh what was He his? knew just enough to make really big mistakes, yes, but that's not a, enough. That's it. To, and did not make good. did he intentionally summon the div or was that Nexon as well? No, he did summon the div. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm trying to find. He was the just actual... irresponsible about it. Yeah. Oh, this I once again what a what a fun take on a villain, just irresponsible and accident prone. Uh, here we go. The because it doesn't tell me like the first place you see it tells me like when you actually fight it, which is dumb. This uh. vengeful Agash Div made a pact with Lyserius to destroy Vashon's laboratory in exchange for a rare piece of art. Lyserius promised the Div they could destroy. Uh, the Agash mistakenly destroyed the lab of Professor Vashon Atweather, a teacher at <sighs> Blythier College, instead of the alchemist Vashon Gattleby's lab. My goodness. But Gatesh. <laughs> insists Lyserius wasn't specific enough. Lyserius is refusing payment, though he never had it to begin with and has been oh. attempting to hide from the div. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. Okay, okay. Wonderful villain. I, <laughs> I, you know what he kind of reminds me of? What? Just a little bit. He reminds me of the Borderlands 2 DLC. Oh, the guy. With the bumbling scientist yeah. that loves Handsome Jack. Oh, you're kind of right. No, I, I, it's it sucks because I don't think Shoma was a bad villain because there's a lot of material on him that really flushed him out. It's just there's nothing that kind of alluded to him. You should have been hearing a hint of him since uh, like the end of part one, maybe. Yeah. Um, or like a figure that becomes Shoma or whatever. There should have been clues. And maybe if I was, you know, not as behind on things as I am sometimes, I would have tried to drop those in. Uh, like I did with Gattleby having the whole exhibition cutscene or whatever. Mm. I was actually planning, I think, either the episode after the boss fight before, well, I assume we would do a boss fight and then interrogation or a boss fight and then wrap it up and everything. But like, I didn't think someone was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I figured like after you dealt with Shoma, I would do some cutscenes to show all the stuff happening. But then Alonzo died, and that was like, well, there's no more room for this. By the time we can yeah. have a cutscene with this, it's going to be like irrelevant. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about it in catching up. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I sorry, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I, he was cool. He was a bumbling idiot, fool. Um, killing him is kind of brutal, but he did super deserve it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have any other questions about him that you can think of off the top of his head, off the top of your head? Uh, Was he right? Did Gattleby steal? Uh, oh, we can ask Gattleby about that. So you let's can not ask do that Gattleby. Yet. But will that. Gattleby tell us the truth? Well, here, here's the thing. I'll just save you the work. I, Gattleby won't remember him because <laughs> he already doesn't remember him. <laughs> he did though. He, he thought barely remembered Because I think they were actually classmates um, at one point in time, but mm-hmm. Gattleby's become more of a professor there. Um, but no, Gattleby, if, if you actually were able to get him to remember it, cause I had him not remember it whenever you talked to him, which I think is very in line with his character. Yeah. He told Shoma that when he rebuffed him or like snubbed him, he was just like, oh yeah, I looked at them and they were useless. <laughs> oh God, poor Dang. Shoma. So Shoma is like, he snubbed me. He's stealing my work and he's getting all this uh, attention and reality. He's just mid. <laughs> oh boy. <sighs> Yeah. What's it like knowing that you died to that guy? 
<laughs> no, 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 we died to the robot. The robot. Died to the robot. Fear it the still robot. Still sucks. Fear the machine. At least, at least the machine is an efficient killing thing. But hey, uh, Shoma's persistent damage did some work to him too. Yeah, I am um, taking a step back about book one. I think this good and bad. Uh, not every adventure path is perfect, or rather, very few are super great. Uh, I like this book overall. Still, I just think. I mean, whenever we started running it, no one had made podcast content on it. I think there's a couple other people doing either podcast or streams of it now. But this is something I would have liked to have caught and tried to fix about it. Uh, and maybe I should have, but I honestly, sometimes the best I can do is read things and make light notes. Yeah. Um, but I'd oh, be, totally. it'd be nice to ha- have him be worked more into it. But I think it's really hard, even if you have the time and creativity and you shouldn't have to do it. What I like about this book, and you guys as players jump in here with what you enjoyed, but to me, it has the best adventure path opening out of a lot of oh, different ones. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Like the opener, the initial quest, and then the escape through the scrapyard, all gold, solid gold. And then even the chase stuff with Gattleby, it maybe has some pacing weirdness, but it was still a lot of fun. Oh, no, no. I love the chase stuff. Yeah. And then the ending part here, I think... I don't know if it had been alluded to, it could have been a good, a good first book boss, but I think it just had some, um, information problems. I gotta say though, that Drow has a point. It's kind of gutsy to make the boss of book one, a dead end and actually let the players experience chasing a dead end. Yeah. And it sucks. I can see why it would make some people upset, but uh, I, I think I'm really excited about book two. Um, and even if there's only a tiny thread of a lead to pull us over into book two, I think book two is still going to be a lot of fun to play through. Any uh, parts of the adventure path stick out? I know we've all complained about the end here, but any parts of the adventure path so far stick out as particularly good or not so great? Go Mac. Oh, go I Mac. will love Go Mac <sighs> forever. Oh, Probably one of the best parts of the whole book one to me. What? What? <laughs> what? And you didn't make him up. He was actually a part of the the book, right? No, he's part of the book. Oh, I love him. Gomak was what we wanted from King Rip Nugget. He was everything we wanted from him. Rip Nugget was perfect. Uh, He was beautiful. It's so funny because Jacob called me out for oh my God. he's supposed to be there because you're supposed to knock down that trash tower <laughs> to block everyone <laughs> yeah. and if you fail he's he helps you save out your butts. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early to fight loveless yeah, it's like heckin too early for this there's actually save the players there's actually a contingency plan for if you at the bank stay and fight the shield marshals uh, if you had done that there's like a bunch of shield marshals that come in waves and you should not the game is trying to be very clear, like, you should run. Uh, do you remember uh, how that has not worked in the past <laughs> <laughs> with Jacob's campaign? Yeah. Yeah, these people can be Except at that point, very we were very high level. And in the case of the bank, we were not very high level. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. People are so stubborn. If the characters insist on staying and fighting, they encounter two shield marshals and one in each alley. Use the trash barrels for lesser cover. Accompanying the shield marshals are two clockwork hunters. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh. Uh, use the gun marshal stat block, blah, 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 blah. How strong is a shield marshal? How strong is a clockwork hunter? They're not that strong. I mean, that sounds scary. And the unlikely event that the characters still refuse to retreat and somehow <laughs> survive this onslaught, the shield marshals pull back and cede the bank to the party, stunned by the outlaw's firepower. <laughs> huh. What? 
Yeah. Okay. So they have that. They have that planned, but they don't have anything planned for if you go at night. I know. That is so. Why would you not rob a bank at night? I don't know. If we are, if we're supposed to be outlaws, not criminals, why would we choose when innocent people are there? We're not supposed to be bad. This is not fucking payday. All right. All right. What is the difference between night and day? Uh, Is there? Would there be civilians in the bank if we went during the day? Yes. Yeah, so let me tell you exactly oh what it tells me. Actually, it's per room, which is dumb. Would there uh, have been less clockwork? It just says in the main room during business hours, up to a dozen customers occupy the northern half of the room. This is the main room, like with the with like the waiting area and the teller windows at one end. Uh, as Dunstan Smith, all these customers belong to Alconstar's lowest class of white collar criminal. Few know Muglin personally. Though all respect the muggles, business, blah, 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 blah. At the first sign of trouble, most bystanders tuck and cover, cower in fear. Uh, basically, there's people there and they yell at you for messing with muggling. <laughs> and there's still going to be the, uh, no, I take that back. There aren't as many clockwork handlers and you just actually have to fight some of muggling's like, Hinge oh. uh, people, creature minus one. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and, well. and then here's a night encounter. At night, two clockwork handlers patrol the inside of the bank, continually scanning the area for intruders. Thanks. <laughs> That's like it <laughs> for the whole bank. Dang. And, oh. and here's the thing. The uh, Urkham Dresh, the like dwarf banker lady, is supposed to be a little mini boss who, who does have the b- ability to surrender. Um mm-hmm. And there is nothing about what you happens if you come in at night for her. Like, because you have to get the key thing from her person. Uh-huh. And there's nothing for at night where she would obviously be at home and not in the bank. So you had to make seven. up the canoodling. I, I loved did. the way that you went around that, though. I was just that like, was that great. Was so fucking Listen, funny. There's no place like, to why canoodle. Why else would they be there? Like in the manager's office of a bank. At 2 a.m. I'm pretty sure you, I had you to shouldn't figure be that caught. Out. Like the day we were recording, I was like, fuck, they're here at night. <laughs> Why would the book assume we wouldn't come at night? That is my I biggest know. complaint. That is <laughs> uh, here. If I know the person who wrote this book, like interacted with some of our stuff on Twitter and Vanessa, if you're listening, we love this book. Yes, we, we, we had oh, a great man, so much and fun. We, we unfortunately, the more we like something, the more we talk about it, the more we talk about something, the more, the more we apart. make fun we of it. We also like so no hate to you we we like it but that's we like it so much that we're willing to point out these little details that weren't we're as good willing we had high out. hopes for it and we yeah. loved it but and, and, and still no no bank the robbery better at night. something is the more glaring something is whenever it exactly and this is like literally in every single pre-written thing like remember the witcher mm-hmm. like everything has yeah. its little weirdnesses that a dm has to cover for uh nothing here was major like me handling the night stuff isn't a big ask i can figure that out yeah but the only major ish thing was with shoma being kind of a dead no. end no if you want a homebrew stuff you should be playing 5e oh you shut up <laughs> um all right all right nice simple question okay off the top of your head did we miss any big treasure? Oh my god! Uh, I'm just, you, no, you, that's I, a Jacob you are question so right treasure I, focused. Listen, sometimes it's hard to find everything because people feel perceptive. I'm just genuinely curious. I don't think you did. Okay. Is Bitey okay? Bitey. Yeah. Bitey. Bitey the snake. Oh, Bitey's 
probably fine. He's a snake. He'll find a way to slither out and get into the city. I mean, you shook up Glass, but it's not like he's not going to come back and oh, reclaim yeah, we some of his stuff. Kill Glass. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't kill Glass. I just want to make sure that Blighty's okay. Glass is a lot more reasonable of a bad guy than uh, you, He really is. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, is Glass supposed to, like, Glass the... The monkey goblin. The monkey. I, I think it's With the funny. gun on his oh, shoulder. It, it's hard because Lord Glass and Glass yes. are both characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, is Lord Glass, I was like, is he supposed to be a villain? Because he was super nice. I have, I think it's funny that you guys were running through powder keg punks like it was nothing. And then the moment you got to Shoma, who who had a strong hand in killing Alonzo, there was a small moral quandary. <laughs> I know the difference so, to, because there, the tone was different at that moment. There was no moral quandary. Yeah, yeah, I know Chester. <laughs> <laughs> but I the thought it was funny that you stopped. That Psyker would have spared him is because one, well, I guess two reasons. They felt sorry because he's such a fucking loser. Somebody else had died already. <laughs> Let's see. I'm trying to s- scroll through here, but anything else stand out that you really liked in this or didn't like or have questions about from the adventurous part of thing? I enjoyed the kind of the country club scene where we had to go pretend to be really fancy high class people. You know what? We didn't talk about this, but Longhorn Lounge is in Skyside in the Capital District. We talked about Star Lore later because it happened later. But like that was like a really swanky part of town. You know, I will say, I'll tell you what I liked about this. This for a first book adventure path had a very creative way of getting you to fight a wide variety of enemies. In one city. In one in one place. Because, I mean, we fought goblins. We fought clockworks. We fought people. We fought kobolds. Uh, we had a haunt, a machine spirit. We fought mushroom things. A div. Yeah. A homunculus. Things oh, from ridiculous. the astral plane. We got a wide variety of things I just it, did not no. expect. It doesn't feel too out of place. Yeah, and uh, and it made they made it make sense. Like because you play some things like um, well, it's book one of Rise of the Rune Lords. A lot of goblins. Goblins. A lot yep, of goblins. Lots of a lot goblins. of goblins. Book and two of Rise of the Rune Lords. Ghouls. A lot of ghouls. A lot of ghouls. 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 ghouls, ghouls, ghouls. Um, book three. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But like the closest thing we had to that was the powder keg punks. We yeah. fought groups of powder keg punks one, two, three times? A couple different times, yeah. Three times, I want to, to say. To be fair, they were also stalking yeah. us. The bridge. Yeah. But like, even so, we didn't. they didn't overstay their welcome. We had a wide yeah. variety That's of things to fight. Thing. You're only supposed to fight them twice. Bridge and at um, Glass's place. Uh, then the why did... Outside the brewery is because I've, they, you needed to get those clues off of them. <laughs> oh, no. And... What's supposed to happen is you fight them first on the bridge and then you run away from that group. Uh-huh. And this is another weird thing in the book. It's like assuming that you're going to end up fighting them. Like either going to fail the chase or they're going to like, you're just going to stay and fight and you're supposed to get those pieces of evidence off before they get like grabbed by the shield marshals. But what happened is you fought the first wave. You saw the second wave coming. You're like, no. And you ran. Yeah. And you crushed the chase sequence well, with yeah. all your with points all you spent. <laughs> 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 like, we like chases. How can we be expected to fail when they had such a so, generous point system? I felt like I was making a mistake because you didn't get those evidence things pointing you towards the powder keg punks. But like I couldn't think of any other way that things could have gone, so I just had them a group find you after the stuff at the. If I remember correctly, that last little group gave us a bit of trouble. 
That's a horrible the brewery. bit. Yeah. No. No, it didn't. Okay. No. I you, thought one of us. You guys had just down. hit level three, I think, and you crushed them. Did we just hit level three? Yeah. I'm pretty sure uh, I let you hit level three so you could steamroll them. Uh, the thing that really hurt us was um, fucking Dewey dipshit. Yeah, he uh, hurt yeah. real bad. Oh yes. Yeah. Dewey. Dewey. Talk about Dewey. Dewey Day Star. Fucking, fucking nerds out here trying yeah, to do nerds stuff. Nerds are the most dangerous people God. in Alchem Star. Who would have known? I will say, when you were berating me about playing a druid in this oh game, my God. Uh, things like Dewey Daystar and other like druid essences in here were why I was like, I don't know if it'll fit because oh, if you're someone who wants to like bring nature into Alchem Star, you would like be like, Guy's right. It would have fit perfectly. You've been like, Dewey, you my new buddy. Oh, I said, book one had no major Druid issues. I don't know. The main thing, the main reason for being real about Druid not working is like all the items you get in this game yeah, are yeah, for like yeah. Inventor, Alchemist, and Gunslinger. Yep. That's like everyone in those classes is going to get the coolest items. And oh, then yeah. there's other items that more generally apply. But if you're a Druid, you already have like you're a limited set of nothing. things you can yeah. use and you're Aww. not going to get anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know what a Druid could do? Cast a. They could lead the way with reincarnate. Reincarnate <laughs> the ritual. Yeah, dude, you guys should have heard like the night after Alonzo died. I'll be very Jacob clear was going about through this. the stages oh, of grief, no, no. and he oh. hit bargaining so hard. I, I said <laughs> we should not bring him back, but if we wanted to try. Could we do it? And the answer is simply well, no. Well, here's the thing. You, we, we walked he through the spells. He more than me. We, I was like, look, raise dead, six level spell. That's I, like I not just, available to you. I just you. love theorizing Pathfinder. I had to know if it was at least possible. And like, even if it was, you couldn't afford it. Exactly. We could never afford it. But what I, I said, the very controversial thing, apparently of like, well, dude, it's Alkenstar. Like you probably can't find someone high enough level magic wise who casts and you went on such a tangent rant we, about this. We have Even though you knew you couldn't afford it. Difference. Yeah, because I, like I said, I love the theorize. We had a difference of opinion in that. Oh, oh okay. It boiled down to it. I was like, maybe, like, first off, not a lot of high-level spellcasters here at all. And secondly, even if there, there was like one in, named NPC cleric who was of the right level, but like I was like, well, I know mechanically clerics can just prepare any spell from their traditions so is divine. But I was like, but they're NPCs and you're PC. So yeah, for PC, that makes sense. And an NPC, if you are a cleric of Bry and you've been preparing spells around like inventing and like one set of knowledge, suddenly praying to your God for raised dead, don't think that should necessarily it be a thing really you can do. doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And Jacob was arguing, I was like, well, this is the thing because again, they're NPCs. They're not player characters. I get it. Mechanically, it would work. A player character, I would not sweat it. Um, and the other problem is a like 13th level cleric or whatever it was, you're not going to have the connections to talk to. Derek did tell me, though, that if we had all decided to go on a spirit journey to try and find reincarnate, he would have humored the idea. I would have humored it. If you would have wanted to like, if Chester wanted to pursue a lead on finding a druid from the mana wastes who knew because reincarnate is not a spell. It's a ritual. It's a ritual. If you wanted to like do that, I would humor it. I wouldn't guarantee you it would work. But we also didn't have the skills necessary to cast it. You have to be an expert in, in nature. nature. Yeah. And I would, I'm not even trained in nature. Yeah. We would just Al have had to, a level. We would just have to go and find somebody that good. Al was the reason we'd be making I this know. <laughs> <laughs> I would have humored it. I love little uh, side quests off of adventure paths because they're the funnest to write. They have like a and little tight I would have thing. loved for Alonzo to come back as an automaton. 
Or just like an elf Cat or dwarf. Folk. Hey, if he came back as an Actually, elf, that would make uh, you should look daddy at, happy. That would have made Helador's father very happy. You should happy. look he at reincarnate in 2E. It, it, it gets real fun. It's like, really fun. It's based off of the area that it is cast in. Yeah. So there's no one set chart for it. It's up to the DM to make like a quote unquote chart. I'm sorry, but now I'm just imagining it. If he came back as a full elf, Eleanor would be like, oh, my love, I missed you so much. Get away from me, you filthy (laughs) half-breed. I just imagine uh, Alfredo would be happy about coming back as a full elf, but uh, Cat would not be because of the D6 uh, ancestry hit die. (laughs) And then let's not forget the very real chance of coming back as a flesh warp. Oh, yeah, you're right. Or, Or a, can I hold your phone? Can I play games on your phone? Oh, right, no guy. Oh, right. I don't know. They're not quite this part of the world. Well, but they, yeah. You they could were, have been a uh, Weren't they Alkenstar? Flesh Warp. No. Oh, okay. If he had come back as a Flesh Warp, I'd have like, kill me now. You kill could me have again. Been, kill me you again. You could have been a catfolk. Pull a direct. That wouldn't have bothered me nearly as bad as a Flesh. We could have been kitties cool. together. Uh, okay. No, he's dead. We could have done that thing where we look at each other from across the room and then start like... Sideways walking. (laughs) Come back as a dwarf. Uh, Alonzo would have made a good dwarf. Speaking of Alonzo, though, uh, is there anything with his backstory? I know we had a lot worked out uh, to handle the past episode. We didn't get to all of it. Um, We basically just talked about his his uh, uh, pocket watch. Uh, But he like we did. We talked about we did the funeral, which is mostly what you and I had discussed. And we had the pocket watch, uh, but we didn't get into all the other stuff that you talked about there. Um, like uh, the instructions he had left behind with Phoebe, um, stuff about his mom uh, and so, the lockbox he left behind as well for Eleanor. Um, I, I don't know if I'll spoil the Eleanor thing because I might still mention that her p- picking up something that he left her the lockbox. That might be something you see in the next episode when she comes into mm. the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Al had more backstory than just that. He had a father who was pa- who had passed away because his father was a bit more elderly uh, and wasn't the best of health. He has a mother who is still alive, but they're somewhat estranged because uh, Al reminded her far too much of her past husband. And he's dead now. Yeah, and he's dead now, too. Yeah, that's pretty estranged. <laughs> they were pretty estranged to I'm begin so with. I'm so sorry. Mama? Is that you? Um, so, Al, had I gotten any fervor with Al, I was going to have him eventually write, like, a letter to his mother um, just to, you know, talk to her or something, because, hey, there, you miserable bitch. I'm still not my dad, but you abandoned me anyways. <laughs> um, he owns his dad's shop and all, so he had a letter that would have gone to her. But, no, he would have, you know, eventually ended up writing more mentioning um eleanor much more would in just wouldn't shut up about her <laughs> apparently according he to might you have guys. gotten into how he learned quite a bit of what he knows from her too yeah so yeah i don't want to get whole backstory i don't want to spoil eleanor because we've only just introduced her and we haven't got to see her uh, in game mechanic terms but uh i think i'm i'm very excited because i'm i don't we haven't talked about the class uh, and I, we can leave that until uh, until we actually get to see her, I guess, in action. Um, but it's so cool. It's a, it's a very it's very fitting for Eleanor uh, being Alonzo's fiance. I think. Oh yeah, you can mm-hmm. totally tell why he was into her when you actually get to meet her. Yeah, I'm I had so much fun Eleanor building now. her. 
Say what? I'm going to seduce Eleanor now. <laughs> I will marry Eleanor. Also, I need to note that when I was building my characters, I had two backups potentially made. And one I hadn't decided a name for, so its profile name was Al's Dead. Yeah, I got Oh my <laughs> I got sent that. <laughs> so so Derek just opens up his stuff to give me the free archetype and the name of my characters. Al's, Al's dead, dead now. Al's dead. There's like two Al's at the bottom now. of our Hero Lab campaign. Eleanor and Al's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just rub some salt in that wound. So. New new naming convention. I I joked. I clearly was joking when I said this. I clearly was joking when I said this. Oh, my uh, God. One of the things I talked to Kat about on our way home after Alonzo died, I was just (laughs) like, well, we could turn him in for the reward. (laughs) Oh my I God. got so mad at I'm him. Just said uh, you five hundred gold a is five hundred gold. I sent Derek a message. Derek, don't you dare let Jacob turn in Al's body for the reward. You, you can't let him do that. That's awful. Psychir uh, would have had an issue with that. Thank just, you, Psychir. Just a little issue. Oh, that's so dumb. I don't think that was Chester speaking. That was Jacob no, that speaking. Was not 100% that was Jacob. Jacob's dragon greed speaking. Uh, I, I thought that and I had to I started laughing. I was like that'd be so cheesy and the DM would not let it work. No, I I'd give you so much shit for that. Oh my god. It did get a good giggle. Five hundred unexpected uh, gold oh, would have been game breaking. That would have yeah. been enough to bring Alonzo back. Shut up. Oh my god. It's like no but Al had like I had like names for his parents and everything. Oh. So yeah, I had some backstory for him. Yeah, you did good, man. Everyone's going to think we wrote this into no. this thing. Can I please go on record and say we did not write this in. <laughs> well, I'd like to I go did on not record. want Al to die. I will go on record saying I wrote this. I just didn't tell anybody. I <laughs> built this stuff because he had gotten hurt so much in each combat, but I had built it to try to like have character moments <sighs> yeah. and like actually try to develop something. Oh. Not because oh I anticipated his death. I didn't want it to happen. I that Those tears were real. I am so fucking pissed. I took such good care of him and that bitch died. <laughs> that is those, why Chester will not write a letter till after he's those dead. Those on-air <laughs> tears were very real. Yeah. We happened to capture my first ever permadeath character death yeah. live uh-huh. on air. So, uh, That's no. for you, audience. I did not plan this. You experienced something with me. I hope that we handled it in a respectful way. Well, you'll find out whenever you listen to episode 30. I have to wait so long. Mm-hmm. So, no, it was not planned. It will sound planned. I cannot deny that. But I did not want him to die. I'm, I'm still editing the episodes up until that fight. And it's just, we foreshadow it so hard. It's gut-wrenching to listen to. And we yeah. have no idea. All these jokes about his death and I'm like I, I literally the first time I played an episode afterward I stopped the whole thing and shout into the void but Al's dead like you're literally <sighs> joking about the letter in the last episode I edited which was like 27 you're joking about oh, you doomed us all I've consensed it's disturbance and like he dies oh, I have content I have content Al's dead <laughs> took such good care of him. And you gave him so many chances to live. He just died. We should talk about that, Jacob, because in your bargaining, uh, you found out something important about hero points. 
that I think we should address. Uh-oh. Hold on one second. He did die, though. If we messed up and we're too generous, oh, he still late. died. Oh, it's oh, way yeah. too late. Derek and I spoke about this, and we think Derek was very generous. Oh, totally. I, very, I will not very, deny that. And I believe, because I haven't went back and listened to it myself, I won't hear that until the episode comes out, but I believe that it balanced out in such a way. Um, I, I don't know about this conversation, so please enlighten me. Uh, I will read it rules. to you. Uh, here we go. Yeah, I got it right here. Hero points. Spend one hero point and roll a check. You must use the second result. This is a fortune effect. Blah, blah, blah. Two. Spend all your hero points. Minimum one to avoid death. You can do this when, you are, when your dying condition would increase. We got that right. You lose the dying condition entirely and stabilize with zero hit points. We got that right. You don't gain the wounded condition or increase its value from dot from losing the dying condition in this way. We did do that. So every time you used a hero point to go from dying to stabilized, we increased your wounded. That being said, I believe there were multiple times Where I that didn't. you got stabilized without using a hero point, which would have increased your wounded and whatnot. It happened I don't once, think, I think it would have changed the no, outcome. No. It would not. If no. it changed anything, it would have been like we, what we talked, I believe, last episode, and it would have given you maybe another chance but all it would have been was a chance. Yeah, um, maybe nah, he, he was going to die, unfortunately. A couple more rolls. Because the thing is, if we got this right, it would have given you a couple more maybe rounds worth. But the, what I did do is whenever we used bottle caps, I didn't tick persistent damage those turns. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. problem is that whenever, balanced. even if you had used the hero points like three times instead of bottle caps, you would have gone to zero, no dying, no wounded gone back to dying from persistent damage because yeah. that was your main problem. The and, persistent damage was really what And the other thing that was merciful was when you were dying, Derek had you roll to stop your persistent damage. When I shouldn't have been able to. No, before you took damage. You're supposed to take the damage first. Oh, dang. And then roll. He, he would have died way so sooner. So he gave you, because there were a few times you actually got rid of your persistent damage. It's just things would happen to give oh, it to you again. No, I got really excited so, when I got rid of them and then promptly got them back. Yeah. yeah. So there were, there were a couple of times where you stopped it where you should have been hurt and then it stopped. And, and that would have made a difference. I mean, I feel like we did a pretty good job. It was a high emotion, high stress moment. I feel like we did pretty good getting 90% of the way there. We'll see whenever I actually go edit that episode. But regardless, even if it is a mistake, uh, he's dead. You know, hand I off mean, the chest piece. It wouldn't be the only time a podcast has had a character die and they no. should, <laughs> if they shouldn't have, but I don't, I wouldn't count it as something that shouldn't have happened. I think even if we'd have played it perfectly 100%, he still would have passed. Yeah. I couldn't roll past a 10 to save my life in that episode. And audience, even if we if we got it wrong, you have every right to ridicule us for ad infinium for getting a rule wrong. I actually made a note to myself about something that you guys uh, were very fortunate, I, in my opinion, to avoid in the oh. adventure. is uh, You know how you fought the robots in the homunculus and you turbo nuked the homunculus? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then you went to the sleepy, sleepy nighttime room afterwards. Uh-huh. So you didn't let him, but that homunculus is like one goal in life was after get attacked, go to that room and hide in the drawer that triggers the trap. Oh, no. Oh, no. And it could have been bad because it wants you to run in there and then, like, you know, you trigger the trap, the door shuts and locks you in effectively. And 
it won't go down and you will go to sleep and it'll beat the shit out of you. Woof. That could have been that's, real bad. That's ruthless. I'm just glad we managed to avoid my poor boy for, getting disassembled yeah, for by a game the automaton. Who took away coup de gras because players don't like boy, being coup de gras. That's twice at the end of this book where a creature is intending, fully intending, to get us knocked down and beat the crap out of us until we're dead. <laughs> or dismember. <laughs> yes, that's one of them. Uh. Oh. Let's see. When it sees the characters, it immediately warns its master who begins to prepare for their arrival. Lysiris orders the homunculus to fly into the bedroom and hide. Is the homunculus like an alchemical familiar or is that like a separate thing? And it's like a construct thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was to stay hidden until this trap sets off and then try to finish off the intruders. Woof. Yeah, that would have been... He's not very strong. The homunculus is like a creature one. But if you are, you know... Asleep. Yeah, any damage increases your dying level. Any well, well, you damage. wouldn't be dying. You would just be unconscious. Well, he'd, but then he'd, yeah, he'd hit you. You wake up and be prone, and like have you'd have to roll again to not go to, to fall back asleep. Oh. It would suck. Uh, I don't think all of you would have gotten in there the way it was going. Yeah, but like it could have very easily been. He runs away to that room. You're like, all right, forget him. Finish the handlers. We all go in that room trap goes off all of you fall asleep and he starts beating the shit out of you <laughs> tpk <laughs> oh Dang. my god that was the thing i was the most worried about in this last dungeon really was him just slaughtering you in your sleep um i, I didn't worry about the fabricator at all i didn't worry about it until it critical alonzo and sent him into night night town critical chester toys yeah he did <laughs> chester survived those criticals so shut your face jacob barely survived <laughs> you barely did. You got lucky. I did get lucky. You rolled good. As Jacob told me, don't be mad at yourself, cat. The dice tell the story. They do. Just because you can't roll doesn't mean you messed up. It just means the dice. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't believe that's how it. I said it, but close enough, I just suppose. Just because you fucked up so immensely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> you can't. It's, it's like, I can't be mad at myself for having no luck with dice. Jacob's like, no, the dice tell the story. You didn't mess up. You had less than a 50% chance. You love math. You know how math works. Yeah, but the thing is, that small percent chance should not oh. be as impossible as I made it. But you kept, the thing is, you kept making it on the dying checks and like upping it. And then it. failing on the persistent damage. Yeah. Did, persistent damage, y'all. It's a killer. Did, It'll kill you. Did we miss any fun NPCs? Because uh, no. I don't feel like there was any way that we could have missed any fun NPCs, unless the people at the bar. I think people at the bar is pretty cool, but there's no uh, story stuff to get you there. Uh, I think after rereading the end of the book, it's more like, hey, the bar could be a cool, fun thing for like in-between adventure downtime stuff with these all these NPCs. I think it's more of like, here's a toolbox to make stuff if you have downtime in the adventure. Mm. Um, oh, if we have it so far. Well, you have, you, we're going to have downtime in between books. Oh! <laughs> yes. Jacob's so excited I've for the downtime. I'm going to make so many bombs this would make no difference because I'm only level four. <laughs> Only level four, says the guy whose first character made it to level four. I'm just okay. going to rub that in every time. We cannot have this happen to Jacob because of Drender. Uh, I know your pain. I, you mock me. However, I did get to build a level four character, which felt really cool and powerful. Oh, it's like I, I, well, I sent you a message whenever you finished up Eleanor. 
Uh, oh, I saved a picture of it because it made me so happy and proud. Oh, what was it? It's like I would build those two carriages. You're like, they're both good and they'll fit the story. Not going to lie. But reading over Eleanor's abilities, it's like looking at a shiny new Ferrari. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And that was like, dang, is it so cool that it got Derek excited? I was trying so hard to be like, you know, you do whatever you want. Don't worry about filling a role. just like, please play this character. Don't worry about filling a role in the part. Party. you don't don't worry about like that stuff we'll, we'll make it happen because you should know the first like, thing i built was the tankiest tanking fighter i could I build figured. Hmm. do sort of need to worry about i was like that. well you don't double up on a Same. class right like that maybe not that but like you know if you wanted to play like another uh you talked about eleanor potentially uh one of the things was uh i don't know if i want to say it because i want to let the audience because then you'll know what, I, what one thing isn't. i didn't pick yeah but like one of them was like more uh yeah, obviously you built the tankiest tank, but another thing was like ranged, and you can make the argument well, like a ranged thing wouldn't be very good. Um, yeah, because I did, I did play around with a range. But I was thing. just like, you, you don't worry about it. Like it'll, it'll work out. But like whenever you finally settled on what Eleanor was, I was like, goddamn. Bill's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I was trying not to influence you, but I had to be like, I'm not going to lie. That looks pretty sick. <laughs> but don't worry. We will bury her next to Alonzo whenever she dies. Oh my God. Thanks. And we'll bury Chester <laughs> next to him too. Yeah. No, no, just, I'm going to live forever. Plot. No, no. If we lose Chester, we're taking his body to his mama. You got uh, that right. No. Yeah. No, we're not yeah. going to take a body. Dude. Uh, yeah, you yes, we're going to take we'll, a body. We'll take ashes, probably. They could bury him on the floor. His body. Don't they could put him next to the ash pile. Burn him. They could put him next to the ash pile that was his oh, father. Because yeah. he's part <laughs> vampire, he has to end Dude. his ashes. I see how it is. It's like... It's <laughs> okay. I, I said. I'm so glad that we're not doing another season. <laughs> You'll, we'll just put your ass pile next to your daddy's. That's right. No. <laughs> Chester meets his dad in the afterlife. Oh, they asked me, dad. We talking about his dad's alive. <laughs> if we ever had to role play you guys uh, handing Chester's remains to his mom, that, that would be gut wrenching. So sad. That was already really, really, really bad with Eleanor, but that would be like. His mother? Yeah. There's a, there's a difference between. There's a big oof. Uh, Somebody who has loved him for a while, who probably grew up As with him. As someone who raised and him. And someone who birthed and raised this man. Oh, oh, did you want to roast me? I know we talked about this at the end of last week when we recorded <sighs> about how I handled that encounter. I know you were very upset about it in your bargaining oh. phase of depression. Oh, I'm trying to figure oh. out which time. I know what you're talking oh, about. You're not weakening the enemies? I did not weaken the enemies like I normally let's do for just, the last listen, encounter. Let's I've just say I went through a large system. rage stage about that, so I'm not going to comment. <laughs> you're weakening the enemies. Would have been nice. I don't, I don't know yeah. if it would have helped, you to know, be honest. Four people's different than three people. Oh, I agree. But I... <laughs> Well, like I said, I thought the I didn't think it was going to be that bad. Persistent I, damage was, would have killed him anyway. Let's when I was real. prepping it, I didn't think it was going to be that bad. I, what happened is you guys focused on Shoma, and I thought yeah. you would got you guys would throw two electric bombs at the fabricator and just just trash it. Yeah, uh, but it didn't end up happening. How about because I thought Can, Shoma would be a threat. What, what yeah. level was this <sighs> encounter? It was uh, severe three, I think. I'll double check that. Four. Yeah, because it's a boss fight. Um, At least my boy died fight. in a big old hard fight. It, it was severe three. The clockwork fabricator, the fabricator was a creature four, and Shoma was a creature three. And as we proved out, he was weak as hell. Yeah. 
Um, and the fabricator was kind of tough, but it's not like you haven't fought clockwork stuff before. And the one, I think, electric bomb you did hit it with, like, really hurt it. So... All right, so enough negativity. We can blame whoever we want. Derek. <laughs> Choose a favorite moment from this season so far. Hmm. I'll go first. I have a lot of favorite moments, but the, one, the first one I thought of was being lucky enough to have a bomb on Chester that dealt the weakness to those I, I, Iotons. Iotons. The, the mind damage. Yeah. The, the thrill I got from being just so happening to have the right bomb to hurt them made me feel really nice. I bet. I got one. It's off the top of my head. My first attack in combat as Alonzo. Oh, man. Criticaling and destroying that clockwork handler in one sheer go brought me more joy than I need to describe Mm -hmm. on this podcast. That was a beautiful moment. It gave me hope that like after having played the rogue in Pathfinder 1E that was not as well balanced, that they had balanced the class. Oh, that was really good. Psykir, do you have one? I think I have one for you. Being able to send off the spirit within the machine. Ah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what Such I was thinking. Such a Psykir perfection moment. Oh, man. And DM. Go Mac. Of course. Go Mac. Go Mac. So tell us why killing Alonzo was your favorite part of this. <laughs> I hated that moment. He that, might have been more traumatized than me. Do you have a least favorite moment from this season? Uh, every time you question a plot hole that I didn't account for. Like, <sighs> Fair enough. So like we're going in at night. Who is Shoma? <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? Cat, uh, what was your least favorite moment? <laughs> Go ahead. Say something different. Say your second least favorite. I'm sorry. It's a fair question. <laughs> I just needed to make you react. Um, let's see. Let's see. I I honestly enjoyed a lot of the combats and such. Okay, I was disappointed that we didn't have a second chase scene. Oh, we yeah, ended up fair. fighting the Agash, and it was really cool. Well, we all know but whose I fault love that was. Chase mechanics. I just figured you'd say Alonzo's dead. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I hate that, but you said my second least. Favorite. No, I said yeah, least. Yeah, I said second because oh, okay. we all, we oh, all okay. knew. We all know. Okay. I'm, I mean, I think it made amazing story, though. Don't get me wrong. Just... Bittersweet. Bittersweet. Drow. Yeah? Least favorite moment? I hated it whenever Alonzo fucking died because <laughs> uh, I took such good care of that bitch and he died. Yeah. That's a close <laughs> second. It's content, though. Close remember? second for me. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite moments. I have a lot of smaller ones. I love Chester's wife. I love every bit oh, about Chester's I wife. Miss oh, yeah. God oh, Chester's Chester doesn't wife. use the whip enough. No, no he doesn't. He, he hasn't had a reason to yet. The whip is mostly there for trip, grapple, disarm. And I haven't had a reason to use those yet. Yeah. Also, I think uh, whenever you guys were in the brewery, one of the many things you fought, I think it was the wasps. I can't remember. There's like three things in a row you fought in that fucking room. I'll go go for another one. Brewers, oozes, wasps. Oh, the brewers when I got Alonzo drunk. That was That was hilarious. God. I didn't like having to get my poor boy a uh, um, a gun after all my my slamming on it. I needed a bludgeoning weapon and no bludgeoning weapons like for melee made sense. So I had to suck it up and get him a gun and it just kind of hurt inside. But like another moment when you're in the brewery, whenever you couldn't see the wasps, token and i moved and went hi and you know, you freaked out yeah that token yeah. was terrifying oh, to look at oh, oh god boy. Swarm of angry wasps oh man got my boy drunk 
This is a good book. This it's is a good, good book. book. It is a good book, and it's it's been a very fun. I look forward to the second. One. Hey, hey, we want to tell the the the, the blob what uh yeah the title of the second book yeah, is. Yeah, so the first book was called Punks in a Powder Keg. How apt. And the second book is called Rogues Cr- in the Ground. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. It's called Cradle of Courts. Uh, I think it's going to uh, not be anything like you expect it to be. I have, I, that's the thing. I literally have no idea what to expect now. What you find I mean, in this book j- may legit, shock you. legit, no, ex- <gasps> no, no questions. Like, Come I don't on. know. I'm playing a whole new character for crying out loud. I'm starting a book, new book with a new character. So I got no expectations. Color me shocked already. But you I'm, get to know us again. I'm it's going to be kind of fun. It. I'm very excited for it. I know we've talked about what we want to do with the show and I'm I'm in between wanting to do two books because I could very easily alter the ending of book two and have a nice like really good narrative ending. But Jacob really wants to play three books. I mean, if we're going to do two, we might as well do three. I know. but At that point, we're more than halfway done with an I entire know, adventure path. But you're a player and I'm the GM. You're going to GM anything we play. I knew. Shut up. <laughs> But we'll see. I'm leaning towards doing three, at least as of this moment. I go back and forth like every few hours. But my inner completionist, she needs it to be completed. What I feel the most bad about is apparently Oracle's psych here really pop off at level 10. And if we finish book three, you'll get to level 10, like before the end. And like, so you get like pop off at level 10. Well, like they're good. And then they like pop off. Okay. Okay. That's fine. That would kind of suck to like get to God status and then wrap up the book. Or maybe it'd be great. Who knows? Uh, well, one other thing I wanted to talk about here before sending off this this beautiful catching up uh, is we talk at length in other seasons and in this season about how much we play first edition. And now we can like definitively say that we have a lot of 2E under our feet. Like we, we, we are well versed in the 2E space. Not experts necessarily. We're we're trained. We're now trained in 2E. I like that. Uh, What a nice nod. What would you say, how do you guys feel as players uh, between the two systems? I know when we first looked at 2E a long time ago, the big complaint was, well, there's a couple rule books, but it's not nearly as vast as 1E, but that's kind of changed recently. So how do you guys uh, feel between the two systems? I might be the most positive. I prefer it. The gameplay is a little easier to learn. The character building is better for beginners. There aren't as many, quote, trap options that can cause you to Mm -hmm. fail without realizing you're failing. I like the action economy being cleaned up. I have very little negative to say, if any. I love Tui. Yeah, I I think I really like how you don't have to pick ability scores with like a point buy in Tui if you're talking about like being beginner friendly, mm. because yes. it kind of plays itself out as you pick your ancestry and your class uh, and your background that like all those pull the ability scores together for you. And then you have like free choices as well. And I wasn't sold on it at first because I really liked point by as a way to even the playing field, but the way they've done it is kind of brilliant. Mm. So that's really nice. Jacob Drow, how do you feel about the two game systems? I off the top of my head, cannot think of any complaints about 2E. I like 1E better. That's fair. <laughs> That's, Jacob likes the deck. I really like both of them, but if I had to choose one to play, there's I've got like a dozen ideas that I've not got to do in 1E yet, so I want to do it. And I, you're right, there's, well, there's more options in 2E now, 
it's really hard to beat the archetype system that one he had that you could play the same class 20 different ways yeah mm-hmm. and it would feel different each time you did it although you are deeply thirsty for a rule book coming out uh, i guess when this episode released <laughs> oh. this year 2023 oh. rage oh, you of the guys, elements you guys watch out if chester dies at just the right time i'm going to get a character not made for this adventure path whatsoever <laughs> just because you want to try i want to be class. a kineticist so bad yeah i love kineticist and one way too complicated way too annoying overpowered not, in reign of winter the way you did it specifically in that one overpowered not the best written to be understood yeah no but i love it what i would love to see from you jacob is you running 2e as a gm like running 1e like a one shot or a homebrew game and then running 2e within like a couple months of each oh, other oh yeah no doubt 2e is hmm. easier yeah no doubt because I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil my opinion as a gm 2e is like way easier on me as a GM because mm. in one E we, I, we, I think we've talked about this a little bit where I have to like do a lot of look at what the characters can do, look at what adventure path I'm playing and make some small adjustments to actually make the encounters, not a just, you know, wipe out every single time. Yeah. And I don't ever have to worry about that. I just kind of like, all right, this should be roughly this difficult according to, uh, the encounter rating. And it is, <laughs> uh, Drow, what do you think about the two-game systems? So, I really appreciate 2E for the fact that it is more approachable than 1E and for the fact that it is not 5E. I think that... Okay, okay. okay. We don't I think that... Fight. I love 5E. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite games was 5E. However, I think that people need to not only play 5E. That That's, I can agree with. And Pathfinder 2nd Edition existing, uh, being easier... Than first edition being, dare I say, uh, more homebrewable than first edition is is grand. I'd agree yeah. with that. That's it's, good. It's more on the GM side. There's a lot less hyper specific rule systems for every little thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of rule systems for a lot of things, but they're more like here's good guidelines. Use this table to reference DCs uh, instead of like. Um, Everything in one was like, uh, there was like a set DC somewhere tucked away that you had to find. And here it's just like, okay, well, here's like the types of checks you could run, but you can change it if you feel like it. Reference this table based on character level and difficulty for DCs. And that was really nice. If you, once you get used to the workflow, it's better because I liked one that you like had to find those DCs mm. and that they were very specific, but they didn't always fit. And now you can make them fit and the system really helps you get pointed in the right direction. Yeah, I like I like to I like I really like what they're doing. I think we can all agree that it's a lot more easy to approach, especially if you're newer to the system, and it just makes a lot more sense. Uh, one of which my, is why I like it better. One of my biggest gripes about one E is the action economy, and like that has two E has just been revolutionary. It's, it, it's beautiful. Two mm-hmm. E's action economy is, dare I say it, a work of art. The one mm. thing I still have stamp of approval, Chef's kiss. One thing I still have problems with in 2E is the initiative system. I know why they do it. Mm. And I know it makes sense whenever you do it correctly. But like sometimes it's just really complicated to remember like, oh, you you roll perception and then the trap has a stealth DC. And then like whenever you get into initiative, your perception is the initiative with the trap. Like but we missed that with uh, Alonzo and the sleep thing. We had the trap like roll initiative it should have been using Alonzo's perception. We 
we, we miff that and we do that a lot because uh. I'm not used to doing it. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Anyway, this has been a, a long winded catching up. Y'all ready for a book too? I am. I'm excited. Thank you everyone for attending the last episode of the third gallon podcast. <laughs> We're going to miss you guys. Oh, don't you ter- tell me that. I put hours of work into... I would Riot. Come beat you up. Riot. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed book one, audience, Blob, as Jacob refers to you. Uh, we're really excited for book two. I'm very excited for book two. I think it's going to be a wild ride. I can't wait for Quartz. <laughs> is that the, the titular quartz? The titular quartz? Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, book, book one was a wild ride for us, and it ended on a just tragically sad note. Oh. Yeah. Well, to Alonzo and to a better book two. Raise I your agree. drinking devices. That's your dice box, Jacob. My, my can's empty. Okay. I have a, what appears <laughs> to be a Pizza Hut cup full of water. <laughs> Drow's raising a like tin of pirouette rolls. <laughs> to Alonzo. To Alonzo. To Alonzo. <laughs> you died better than anybody else. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Catching Up. If you enjoyed it, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. If you want to see more from us, check out our website, thirdgallon.com, or follow us on Twitter. We are at thirdgallon, that's T-H-I-R-D gallon. We are also on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook with the same handle, at thirdgallon. We also publish a video version of this podcast on YouTube, which you can find on our channel, The Third Gallon. The theme for Catching Up was composed by Alexander Nakarada, and you can find more of his work at serpentsoundstudios.com and support him at patreon.com slash anakarada. That's patreon.com slash A-N-A-K-A-R-A-D-A. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.